0: pinkies. This is the Faye Driver. This is a garage episode, as you heard from the opening music. I got all kinds of exciting things to talk about in the way of car information. We're going to talk about Archer's car problems. Uh, we're going to talk about my car problems. Is that is that everything? Maybe uh West Stone, Dr. Stone will get an honorable mention, but I won't really talk about his car problems, which he has resolved, so. Uh, so where to begin? Well, let me tell you about my current situation. I am driving the 911, which I just got out of the shop. Pinkies. I took my car in for an oil change. The first oil change in about three years. And you're probably thinking, Faye Driver? You've only done an oil change in three years? And you're probably saying, but that's not, that doesn't sound like the Faye Driver. How could he possibly go three years without an oil change? And I'm, my response to that is, eh, well, you know, I get around to it. Um, uh, yeah, it's probably, I probably could have done an oil change sooner. But you know, life is busy and uh, you know, this the oil in this car is like, you know, that 10,000 mile oil, the, uh, um, what do they call that, synthetic, oh I'm going to have to, i close the windows for you and turn on the air conditioning because I'm such a nice guy. Uh, also, we're going through a very dusty part of town here everywhere we go in this town is a dusty part of town Oh, I should have gone the back way Why didn't I go the back way? Oh, do you hear that whining noise? That's a, a, a poop-sucking machine um, So what did okay, so why did I go for three years without doing an oil change? Well, I have not yet hit 10,000 miles, you know, this car doesn't get a lot, a huge amount of miles put on it, Um, but, uh, you know, it was time I wanted to get a bit of work done on this car. So I finally got an oil change. I know it's bad. Do as I say, not as I do, okay? And we'll just leave it at that. But the other thing I got on this car is new brakes on the front. I got new rotors and new um, pads, of course. You should usually always get new pads when you get new rotors. Uh, and actually, uh, the, guy, I, the guy showed me my old rotors and my old pads, and they were actually bad. I, I thought I had more life in my pads, but turns out I did not. Uh, so timing was perfect, and the rotors were very strangely pitted. I've never seen pitted rotors uh, like I saw on these rotors. So it was uh, it was a bit of a new thing for me. Um, you know, I guess the car just sits too long. I got to drive it harder, Pinkies. I got to get it out rolling on it and of course I'm always washing the car and then putting it away wet and then that causes uh, corrosion I don't want to say not really corrosion on the rotors but uh, you know a buildup of rust from the oxidization of the water on the steel Um, and then I guess that's probably contributing to it that's really interesting to me so anyway, uh, and also I was experiencing some um, brake uh, flutter. So the rotors were warped, right, from you get them uh, get all heated up and the, wor- the rotors warp when you're braking as hard as, you know, this car does track day. So you're doing really hard braking, really heating up those brakes. And, uh, and over time, brakes warp. No matter h- how good of a brake disc you might think you have, um, eventually, all brake rotors will warp. So, uh, new rotors. So, uh, and might I talked to the mechanic about this car because I had some concerns about uh, rear main seal and my clutch, and I got my front differential oil changed in this car. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about having new oil in my front diff. Um, so now I just got to get out and drive this car like a maniac. <laughs> so I can see how what it's like. The guy was very impressed. The mechanic was very impressed with my little car. He said it drives really nice. And he says it's in really good shape. It is, you know, 20 one years old. It's now legal to drink this car in the US. We can drink in at the 18. When, when a car turns 18 you can take it to the bar in my country. Um, so uh, I'm quite happy to have my car back. It's been gone for a week and I haven't seen it. Um, And now I want to talk also to Toppy Smelly, because Toppy Smelly put out a podcast (laughs) about jumping in his car, turning it on, and then racing away. And he, he had asked the question, can I get in my car and drive it without warming it up? And he has a 2010 Honda Fit. So, yes, most definitely Toppy. You can get in and start your car and just drive it. We don't have to warm cars up anymore because we don't have chokes. Uh, All of our cars these days none of them have carburetors. And a carburetor is a device that mixes the air and the fuel together and when you press on the gas pedal you're opening up this throttle which is basically a big valve like a butterfly valve and when you opening up the the throttle on a carbureted car it allows more air to get sucked into the pistons and along in that in that carburetor the gas squirts in along with the air and the more air that gets sucked in the more gas that gets sucked in because it's a venturi effect gas is sucked into the engine in a carburetor whereas you know we haven't had carbureted cars since the mid 90s or early 90s Everything now has one electronic ignition, and two, uh, in some way, the fuel is squirted into the uh, into the airflow stream. It might be squirted in uh, in something called a throttle body, which is where the throttle body is where when you press on the gas pedal, a computer uh, opens a valve a little electric motor opens a valve in, a, uh, in the throttle body which is like a carburetor, but it's not a carburetor. And uh, then air gets sucked through the carburetor, goes into the intake, uh, intake system and into the pistons. So the, the computer in your car with these throttle bodies uh, meters the amount of fuel. It, it delivers a, a certain specific amount of fuel it squirts into the uh, the airflow stream into the intake, uh, and it's all based, you know, on how, how the computer measures a whole bunch of uh, uh, variables to decide how much fuel to squirt into the airflow. Um, so uh, these cars, there's no carburetor, there's no choke. The old carbureted cars had a choke, where you had to, you know would pull on the choke when you had a cold car, which would force more fuel, gas, into the carburetor and less air, which would allow the car to run a little better until it warmed up. So, Toppy, your car has a throttle body. It probably has fuel injection of some kind. Many cars these days might even inject fuel directly into the piston. Um, that's very common in the very modern cars. Uh so uh so all of these cars do not require you to start them and warm them up. In fact, these engines are so efficient that even in the wintertime, you know these people they want to start their cars. I can think of I Bet you Kathy Bacon probably starts her car from the kitchen table while she's drinking her coffee with her little button fob. Click click her car starts when it's 20 below out. And she just sits there and watches uh, her her stories (laughs) in the morning and lets her car run for half an hour. Well, that's bad. You should not start your car and let it run for half an hour. Um, Because you're not generating any uh, load on the engine when the engine is just sitting there idling. It's putting very small amount of fuel into the pistons. Uh, or through the engine so you're not generating a lot of heat when your car is at idle, particularly when it's really cold outside. So uh, this is why I say don't don't start your car and let it idle for long periods of time. So let's talk about this a little bit. If it is really cold out it's the winter time or the late fall and you know, it's cold enough that you want to put on a coat and some gloves, then that is when you can start your car while you're sitting in it and let it idle for a minute, 60 seconds, maybe two minutes if it's extremely cold. And then you can drive away uh, because when it's extreme, when it's really cold like that, you do want your engine to uh, warm up, You know, I shouldn't say warm up, to get moving a little bit because Uh, This is the point where the most amount of wear occurs on the engine. Some rough roads here is when the the oil is really cold. So the oil is cold. It doesn't move through the engine very well because it's thick and syrupy. So when you start your engine in the cold weather, you want to let it run for a little bit so that that oil can get moving around and the parts can start moving. And, you know, there's all kinds of thousands of moving parts in your engine. And you want them to get used to moving and you want to get some oil circulating before you take off and start flooring it to get onto the freeway. Uh, But I am a proponent of not wasting too much time warming up cars. Get in, start it up, drive away, but don't drive like a maniac. Like, drive gently as though you're holding a martini glass in your hand for the first three or four miles or two miles once you get some gets get some locomotion happening in your car then you can start you know accelerating harder and, and being more mean to your engine. All right that's my sermon on warming up modern cars now speaking of hot cars and car engines I'm going to talk about archers car problems. Archer has several problems with his... I think he's got a Ford Escape. Sounds to me like it's a Ford Escape. I thought it might be a Ford Taurus or, a, or one of the other Ford Sedans, but it sounds like he's driving an Escape. All you podcasters in Escapes. Big Fatty has an Escape. Uh, George in Atlanta has an Escape. Who else has an Escape? So Archer was driving on a long country trip over the mountains in the early summer, late spring, good warm weather, and uh, he was going up and down the mountains and he was getting these check engine light messages, service engine soon, and he was a little concerned about it, um, but he read in his manual that uh, just turn the car off, let it sit for 15 seconds and turn it back on again and the message should clear out. Which he did and the message did clear out. Um, so a couple of things here. Uh, now this is two episodes ago. Archer spoke about this two episodes ago and I when I first heard Archer talking about this problem going up the mountains <laughs> on cruise control at 70 miles an hour. He just set his cruise and drove. So you're putting your car under, you know, probably considerable load when you're doing 70 miles an hour and letting the computer control the speed. Your car computer is controlling the speed. You're doing 70 miles an hour. You're going up these steep, long mountain hills, probably, And so that's a certain amount of load that you're putting on the engine and you have one of these turbocharged 1.4 liter inline four cylinders or three cylinder engines. So these turbocharged engines, they work pretty hard, especially under load like this going up a mountain hill and and, uh, at 70 miles an hour. So my immediate thought when I heard episode number one about this was that you have an oxygen sensor problem. And now these cars have thousands, <laughs> not thousands, have very many oxygen sensors. There's probably six or eight oxygen sensors, if not more. Uh, you know, if you, we need to define exactly what an oxygen sensor is. But anyway, any sensor that measures the air or the exhaust or the volume of air going through an engine, into the intake system, what temperature is it, Uh, going through the combustion process and then out the exhaust. There's oxygen sensors on the downstream side of the exhaust, the downstream side of the turbo, which is Archer's problem, and also there's oxygen sensors in the catalytic converter and in the exhaust stream. So there's so many of these oxygen sensors on your car, it's very common to get a check engine light uh, to activate and it's almost you know 80% of the time it's an oxygen sensor that needs to be replaced. So that was my first thought on your problem is that you just have an oxygen sensor that went wrong particularly given that it would reset and the and it was fine when you were driving not over the mountains and not in less dense air um, and, uh, you know, different air temperature changes and all that. So, turns out that, you know, my guess was right. I'm not gonna, you know, not, not that I'm so amazing, but the situation was that a sensor which was downstream of Archer's turbo was bad or giving erroneous readings and they replaced that oxygen sensor for $500, holy macaroni. Um... So that problem is possibly solved, but there's also a chance that the turbo could be caked, or there could be an issue with the turbo. We're gonna have to wait and find out from Archer if he has more engine problems caused by that turbo. I'm gonna talk about turbos in a minute. All you people, you, Scotty the Little Aussie Battler, you got a turbo in your little 1.4 liter three cylinder. Uh, Big Fatty has a turbo, George in Atlanta will have a turbo. All you people with turbos, I'm going to give you a turbo lesson in a minute. But first I want to talk about Archer's shocks. Archer said, replace two shocks for $500. Wow, that's a lot of money for shocks. Because in the olden days, you used to be able to buy shocks for $25. So I suspect that it's actually not a shock that went wrong, but more of a strut. Uh, And Archer said that his shocks were leaking. He wanted to know why were his shocks leaking? Well, let's first fix this problem that it's not a shock. Not turning here, I'm gonna go here. Lots of traffic here, guys. Everybody's waiting to turn in front of my face. Okay, so why would shocks be leaking? Okay, first, let's uh, clear this up. It's probably a strut. Uh, A strut is a shock absorber encased in, or surrounded by, a spring. And that part is gonna run you, you know, one or two hundred dollars. So let's just assume that Archer's right, that it's five hundred dollars for these two shock absorbers on the rear of his car. So you say, let's say, it's going to be two hours of labor at $150 per hour. That's $300 bucks for the labor to do two shocks. And then the part is going to be $100 for, for the strut. And The reason uh, it's a strut is because struts are very common. You may have heard of McPherson strut. It's a very common name for these. Uh, it's an old name, we don't typically use the name McPherson strut anymore, but maybe that will help twig your memory about what a strut looks like. So this strut um, does a couple of things. It has two components to it. It has a spring. So the spring is effectively to manage the weight, to support the weight of the car on the wheels, and then surround it inside that spring is this shock absorber, um, or could be called a damper, for instance. And the job of the damper is to restrict the movement of the, of the wheel up and down, or the, or the body of the car up and down as you go over bumps. So we have these two components working together. One supporting the weight, typically, and the other, the, the damper, to reduce the vibrations and the up and down motion when you go over bumps. And the goal of the suspension is to keep the wheel on the ground. So when you go over a bump, you don't want your wheel to flop around when a damper gets broken and doesn't work anymore. You get this, this wheel is actually leaving the ground and, and removing its, its friction to the road, right? You no longer have your contact patch from your tire sticking to the road, and that's a bad thing. So the question is well why would these shock absorbers, let's call them dampers, be leaking? Well they work because inside that damper there's a couple of different chambers and in one of the chambers or maybe two it could be three chambers depending on how how uh, complicated your strut, your your damper is, um, there's oil contained within the chambers of these uh, these dampers and when the damper is compressed so you have you hit a bump the wheel goes up and the damper gets squished together there's a bunch of oil in there and the oil shoots through a very tiny little hole to so it so it restricts the movement uh, restricts the movement of uh, that uh, the shaft inside this damper from moving up and down and the oil is the key to reducing you know the to, to uh, absorbing the shock. So you get this, the damper will, you know, will uh, uh, compress, squirting oil into the other chamber Uh, and then as this, this, because we have the spring here to support the weight of the car surrounding the damper, then the spring allows the shaft to extend once again after we've driven over the bump, we're on smooth road again, The spring stretches out the damper and the oil gets sucked back into the main chamber. So this shock absorber or damper is constantly, the shaft is moving up and down inside it like a penis in a vagina and the oil is in there to restrict the movement of this shaft in and out of the vagina. So that's where, that's what the oil is that's leaking out because you've hit a bump really hard or you've driven your car in the really really cold and nailed some good curbs or (laughs) hit some bumps or for whatever reason over time the uh, you know the oil is leaking out of this this uh, damper because you know the, the components of it have been compromised so that's how your shocks work your struts okay now Okay, this last topic now, I'll talk about these turbos. Now listen, you kids with your engines that you don't even know you have turbos. Like all these people with their Ford Escapes and their Ford uh, sedans and... Oh, the C-Max. Does somebody have a C-Max? Probably not. Is that just me? your turbo, you guys with your turbo in en- your turbo engines, what does Ford call them? Ford calls them the uh, EcoBoost, the EcoBoost engine. If you have an EcoBoost engine in your vehicle, you have a turbo. And I'm telling you, folks, these turbos they work really, really hard. The job of a turbo is to take exhaust gas from out from the engine after you've been flooring it. This exhaust gas comes, it gets directed into the turbo. The exhaust gas makes these vanes spin around really quickly from the uh, from the force of the exhaust, leaving the engine. And that, in turn, turns another set of vanes of cold air, the air that's coming into your fresh air intake. Um, and it compresses that air and then pushes it into the engine in the intake. And these turbos run really really hot because they're they use all the hot exhaust gas from your you know from the engine to compress air and put it into the uh, in into the combustion process into the intake stream and compressed air burns way better because dense air burns much better than non-dense air right Um, there's more oxygen in the air that is compressed by the turbo. Uh, so the more oxygen you have, the bigger explosion you're going to have, right? So I want all you kids who are driving these turbo engines, these EcoBoost engines, I want you to remember, oh, I got a little Triumph behind me. and <laughs> am on a really good road. Oh, Open, open top Triumph. Oh, sharp corner (laughs) Um, so when you're driving your car and you've just climbed a mountain archer (laughs) and you come down the other side or you're driving in hot weather or you're putting your engine under extreme amounts of load or you're just Scotty Battler you know Scotty Battler's hooning it around in Australia in the hot hot weather of the high heat of winter (laughs) um uh, that uh, you're working that turbo really, really hard and it's getting really hot. Like 800 degrees, 1200 degrees are the temperatures that these turbos are putting up with. And then you drive your car, you you come home mad from work one day, you've been reaming the shit out of your car and you get home and you turn off your engine. And then you have this turbo, which is doing at 1200 degrees and you shut the engine off and you when you shut the engine off you're removing all of the cooling properties that the oil has and there's all these tiny little bearings because these turbos are super tiny in these tiny little 1.4 liter engines and the uh, bearings need oil to have them lubricated and when you turn your engine off you're not now providing any more lubrication to the turbo and it's just sitting there at 1200 degrees. And that little metal bearing is melting and getting s- soldered to the side of the intake or to the side of the the race, the bearing race that's uh, that it's in. And you know you have to be careful. You don't. You want your turbo to be healthy because it's very easy to destroy these turbos. And this could be what happened to Archer if this. Uh, sensor, turbo sensor repair isn't going to work for him. There's such great, I'm just, just so many great roads I'm driving on here and I'm talking, driving slow and talking fast. Should be doing the other way around. You know. So when you come from a long trip or a hard run in your car, please give your car a little bit of idle time to cool down. You should give, you know, uh, you know I'm not going to get into how long you should idle, but two minutes would be good if it's really, really hot. If your engine looks hot, like you look at the temperature gauge on your car, and if it's higher than normal, then you probably have a very hot engine, and that means you have a very hot turbo. So give your car a little bit of time to just sit and idle even for 60 seconds 60 seconds is an eternity when you're sitting in your car and you want to go in and have a pee because you just drove for 8 hours over the Appalachian Mountains so, but I would encourage you to do these things to look after your turbos alright, I'm going to end it there (sighs) boy, that was quite an episode, wasn't it? next time I'm going to talk about Backing up fifth wheels and going on fifth wheel trailer trips and managing energy in my new battery. I have all kinds of things to say about that. I got a, one or two more car things to talk about. So there'll be another episode eventually. I'm just so busy, you guys. I'm so busy doing stuff. Uh, so, and this is the summer, we're in the summertime now. I'm going traveling in my RV. Uh, so, Anyway, if you have a car question uh, You can email me at Podcast at PinkWheelNuts.com Thank you for listening This show is part of the Pride 48 network Of LGBTQ and LGBTQ friendly podcasts You can find more LGBTQ friendly podcasts At Pride48.com Email me at Podcast at PinkWheelNuts.com I think I said that already Okay, that's it Enough of that